Just wanted to throw that out there. Before I get into today's lesson, um, I wanted to do a, a quick announcement. Um, I used to have the Retirement Men's Fellowship at my house. We did it for a long time, uh, every Tuesday morning. Not really morning, it's more afternoon. Uh, but uh, we're going to switch it now. So moving forward, Karen, we'll update the bulletin. Uh, and what we're going to do is um, we're going to have it on Monday evenings. And it's going to be starting at 6.30. Kind of like an open house type thing. Come shoot some pool, throw some darts. It's going to be men's fellowship. Get together, have some good conversation, have some laughs, and have for the men of the congregation spend some time together. I live in Huron Township. And I'm more than willing to share this opportunity if somebody else would like to open their home. So you guys don't all have to drive a half hour for those of you who live on this side of town. So if you want me to host a couple weeks and somebody else would like to open up their home and, co uh, and, and host a couple weeks, then we could divide it, and that way you guys don't always have to drive out there. Anyway, so that's going to start tomorrow. So 6.30, if you're interested in some good Christian fellowship and a place and pool, please come to my house. Um, if you don't have my address, uh, check the bullet or check the directory. If not, just text me, and I'll send that to you. Uh, also, too, before we get into today's lesson, if you were here last Sunday evening, the last Sunday evening as well as the last Sunday morning, uh, and you attended the Bible studies, and you're not, you weren't here for this morning's Bible study, I would ask that you go home and that you uh, watch this morning's Bible study, because I offer a retraction, uh, because I taught something incorrectly, based on a, a not proper understanding of James chapter 1 and verse 15, and so I taught the lesson again this morning the correct way, and I offered an apology to the congregation as well as Lewis for my frustration, and so... If you haven't had a chance to see that, please tune in uh, to that uh, via our website and our YouTube, and you'll be able to hear the truth taught. And so, as we get into today's lesson, if you look on the screen behind me, what is in the heart of Scripture, right? What is in the heart of Scripture, um, and what, or what is the heart of Scripture, as well as how can one become pure in heart? That's what I want to focus on this morning, because this uh, lesson is actually a follow-up to this morning's Bible study, so that way I could further expound upon uh, what the scriptures have to say about the heart. And so we're going to look at the heart a little bit more here this morning, and because it's so very important. So the word heart is really employed figuratively in the Bible. Oftentimes the word is used, uh, heart, it's not talking about the muscle that beats within the center of our chest, right? It's talking about the seat of the mind. It's talking about the emotional, uh, spiritual, physical uh, uh, seat of the mind, where our, our deepest thoughts, our deepest desires, all those different things come from. And so it represents the decisions. Uh, uh, it represents moral life. It, it represents our vices and our virtues. And so great lessons can be ascertained when we study out scripture on what is the heart and how does one become pure in heart. And so we're going to look at that this morning because Jesus tells us when he begins his uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, blessed are those who are pure of heart. Why? He says, because they will see God. And there's nobody who can see God who's not pure of hearts. And you're going to understand why you can't see God if you're not pure of heart as we go through the various passages of scripture here this morning. So in the first passage of scripture, I look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. Notice what it says on the screen behind me. He says, I, I, Paul is telling the Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is in the, what, you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? The word heart, brethren, if you go back and you look at a Greek lexicon, I use BDAG, uh, the word in the original Greek is cardia. 
And throughout scripture, as well as in many languages, as well as in many cultures around the world, the heart is used metaphorically for the inner person. And so when you study it out, that's what Jesus is going to be talking about, the inner person, our inner will. And so when we think about this, as we think about the heart, we think about our mind, if you will, um, it's the seat of all of our thoughts, our emotions, whether it be physical, spiritual, or mental. And so as we consider this, we have to understand that when we look into it, uh, we have desires of the heart, do we not? And we have a will. We have a conscience. We can know right from wrong. Not only because if something feels wrong, then it is wrong, right? For him who knows the right thing to do but yet does not do it, even if it's not the letter of the law that's saying it, to him it is sin. James chapter 4, verse 17 teaches us this. And so when we look at the idea of cardia, right, in the scriptures, in the scriptures it represents much more than just feelings and emotions. It also includes the thinking process, which is the will. So the heart is the control center. It's the control center of the mind, of our will, and of our emotions. And so the gospel emphasizes that, uh, that we are to have a good heart. And we are to be the pure of heart. Those who give their lives over to Christ understand that you no longer live for your own desires, but you, learn, you live to fulfill the will of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We learn to fulfill the will of God, if you will, right? And so when we do that, we need to understand what the scriptures are saying. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said uh, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they came futile in their speculations, and the scriptures say their foolish hearts were darkened. He goes on to say in Romans chapter 2 and in verse 5. But because of your stubbornness, because of your unrepentant heart, you are storing up for yourself wrath. You're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So, brothers and sisters, you look at what the Apostle Paul says here in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. And when we speak, we speak out of the abundance of the heart, is what Jesus tells us in the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, Jesus tells us, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? Who is Jesus speaking to when he says, You brood of vipers? In this passage of scripture, we're seeing how Jesus is talking to the leaders of Judaism. He says, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And the Pharisees appeared, uh, they appeared clean on the outside, did they not? But he says, inwardly, they're full of hypocrisy. Inwardly, they're full of lawlessness. And lawlessness in the Greek is simply defined as the state or the condition of being included with what is lawless. Being included with what is sin. Flip over your Bibles, because this passage is a little bit too long. I want you to see in Matthew chapter 23 what Jesus has to say here. In Matthew chapter 23, I want us to look at uh, verse 23 through 28. Matthew chapter 23, let's open our Bibles. Let's hear those pages turning. Matthew 23, 23 through 28. I'll give you a second to get there, because I want us to make sure that we fully understand this. In the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 23, notice what it says, starting in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. He calls them blind guides. He says, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat when you swallowed a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind, uh, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup or the dish. When Jesus says to clean the inside of the cup or the dish, he's talking about the mind. He's talking about the heart. He's talking about the seat of the mind, uh, of, 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 our, of our emotions, of our spiritual side, of our emotional side, our physical side. He says, first clean the inside of the cup, the heart, so that the outside may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, he says in verse 27. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside you appear to be beautiful to those who look upon you. Think about your spiritual well-being. But inside, he says, you're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. When you read that section of scripture, I remember the first time I read that early on in my faith, I said, wow. Right? That is a strong rebuke. You can't say it much stronger than that without sinning. Right? You look at what Jesus had to say to these men. That's why Jesus said, unless our righteousness uh, exceeds that of the scribes and the Sadducees, exceeds that of the Pharisees, we will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Because think about it. Think about Jesus, uh, Jesus back in his day. Think about the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. They were constantly, they appeared to be righteous and holy outwardly, but inwardly, he says, they were full of lawlessness. What were they trying to do? They were trying to deceive. They were trying to concoct schemes to murder the, 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 the prince of life, the lamb of God. They were, they were, they were, um, they were positioning their minds to do evil. And they, they already intended to do the evil. They were waiting for the opportunity to, to, fill, to fulfill the intentions of their heart. And that's what I said in Bible study this morning. That's what Acts chapter 8, verse 22 and 23 talks about. And so he tells, um, he tells Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, he says, pray to God that the intentions of your heart may be forgiven you. He says, pray that the intentions of your heart may be forgiven you. And the, the same mindset is really what Jesus is telling uh, these scribes and Sadducees and Pharisees here, that they need to repent on a grand scale to bring their hearts uh, into subjection to God, and if Jesus, God, gets your heart, he'll get the rest of you as well. Evil actions proceed or follow evil thoughts. Amen? Amen. Moral and holy and upright actions uh, 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 are, are followed by holy, moral, upright, and righteous thoughts. Garbage in equals garbage out. And so you think about this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees constantly had set aside the law of God in order to keep their own commands, in order to keep their own traditions. And if we do the same thing, we will not enter the kingdom of God. We have to make sure that we're constantly striving to study, to show ourselves approved as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but one who accurately handles the word of truth. That's why I had to apologize at the beginning of this morning's Bible study and let you know to go and watch that Bible study. Watch the re, the, how I recanted and how I made sure that I corrected the error that I was in on the topic. And because it's important that we uh, preach the truth. We're the Lord's church, right? The church of Christ, we're the Lord's church. And if we don't preach the truth, who's going to? And so we need to make sure that we do things orderly and do things with the proper heart. And that's why it says to worship God in spirit and in truth. Brethren, Christianity starts with the condition of the heart. The scriptures are crystal clear with this. And Jesus starts with the heart. And he knows that when he gets your heart, he gets the rest of you as well. 
So before we move on, or as we move on, I want us to consider purity for a few minutes. Because as we think of purity, our Lord is speaking about the heart and the mind, the seat of the emotions, our inner being. He's telling us that it must be pure. And pure in the first, uh, first century, the Greek word is katharis. The basic meaning is to make pure by cleansing from dirt, filth, or contamination. The Greek word katharos is where we get the English term catharsis. And the English term catharsis is a term used in psychological circles and counseling circles for a cleansing of the mind, a cleansing of our emotions. That's why Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 talks about offering our lives unto God as a sacrifice unto God, transforming our minds, right? Not conforming with the world, but transforming our minds so we can prove to the world what God calls good, acceptable, and perfect. That's why we say Christianity is an inside-out religion. It begins with the heart, and if God gets the heart, you transform it with God's teachings. Then as you, uh, as you act, as you speak, as you do things outwardly, it is a reflection of who you are inwardly. Listen to what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus goes on to say, he says, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. These people, he says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts... Their mind is far from me, but in vain do they worship me. They teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, the rules of men. So you look at what Jesus is saying in the word heart that is used here in verse 8 of Matthew chapter 15. It's defined as the seats, the physical, spiritual, mental side of life. It can be used literally uh, for physical cleanliness, but more often than not, Scripture often uses it with a moral cleanliness, a moral purity, if you will. And so when you think of purity, the word holiness comes to mind. Does the Bible speak to us about holiness? Are we to be holy as God is holy? Remember what uh, we learned and what Aiden read here this morning in James chapter 4 and verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your heart, or cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. What is James telling us here? He's telling us that we need to purify our hearts, cleanse our minds, because if we don't, any distractions or corrupting influences that a child of God allows into his heart and his mind, allows them to go unchecked, it's going to cause that person to become, A, less effective as a disciple of Christ, but then in danger of entering into sin. And so we have to make sure, brethren, that we're doing all that God would require of us. When we think of, uh, of what is going around us in the world, this week, were you more concerned with the Chinese spy balloon or were you more concerned with seeking and saving lost souls? When we think about what's going on around us, are we more concerned with finding enjoyment in worldly things or are we more concerned with adjusting our hearts and our minds to align ourselves with God's moral standard? When you think about this topic here this morning, ask yourself if you're more concerned with advancing your career at all costs or are you more concerned with purity of heart and making sure that you bring your heart and your mind in subjection to God's will? Not violating God's standards in order to adhere to man's expectations. Too many times in our careers, we are tempted to violate God's standard in order to meet men's expectations. And we have to make sure that we have to, uh, we have to turn from that. We have to strictly and rigidly make sure that we... Uh, that we remove that type of thinking, understanding that as we do our work, we do it as, as if heartily for the Lord. And so that we, we can only get to that point in our lives and in our careers as if we work for the Lord and not man, is if we actually allow the word of God to transform us. 
transform our minds so that way it transforms our work ethic. It trans transforms our temperament. It transforms our, our work ethic and everything that goes along with that. Brethren, always strive for purity of heart and not advancement by compromising your beliefs. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 that our uh, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And as we, consider, as we consider, uh, continue to consider this idea of purity, the religious leaders, brethren, in, in, the, days of, in the days of Christ, they developed, they developed a very complex system, a system of laws main, uh, of maintaining ceremonial purification. Uh, this is where we, uh, we see the Tarut, and the Tarut comes from, uh, it's one of the divisions of the Mishnah, and the very last uh, uh, division or chapter of the Tarut, it has to do with purity. Why? Because it deals with clean and unclean distinctions, but it also deals with family purity and personal purity. But all of those Jewish laws, all of those Jewish traditions could not uh, bypass the most, important, uh, the most important purity of all. And that is purifying our hearts, purifying our minds, allowing, you to, allowing the word of God to transform you. I mentioned when I came to the Lord's Church when I was in my early 30s, I remember, and I told you guys this many times, I had a lot of things to clean up. I had a lot of things to change because I thought I was good. I was told I was good, but I evaluated my life against Scripture as I continued to grow and learn, and I realized I was an abomination in the sight of God. And so it took years, and it's still, I'm still in the process of making sure that I bring my total heart, mind, and soul in subjection to the will of God. Because if we do that, then we can see God. Because we are the pure of heart that Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 talks about in the Beatitudes. But you can only see God, brethren, if you allow his standard to transform your standard. So, brethren, a pure heart and mind produces external purity and not vice versa. A pure heart describes a person whose loyalty to God has affected every aspect of his life. Notice what Peter has to say in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all of your behavior, in all of your conduct, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Brothers and sisters, we cannot see the Lord, as I keep saying, without a pure heart. I mean, I can't make it any more plain and or simple as what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 8. You will not get to heaven without a pure heart. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, it says, Pursue peace with all men and, the sanct and sanctification, with which no one will see the Lord. So we have to pursue peace with men. We have to pursue sanctification. And if you don't, you will not see the Lord. As I get ready to, to kind of close this lesson down, I want you to think of something here this morning. I want you to think of an illustration. If an ordinary person goes out on a clear night, what are they going to see? Well, if you have a lot of city lights like we have around here, you'll see some stars that are out in the sky. But to an ordinary person, they just look like a bunch of shiny dots. But what about to somebody else who has a little bit more of a trained eye? What if a, an astronomer goes out into the, into the countryside where you don't have all the city lights and they look up into the stars and they get out their, they get out their telescopes and they, they see the stars, they see the planets, they can name them by name. And it says that they move around, it move, he moves around them as if they're friends. 
also from that same night sky. And years gone by, a ship's, a ship's navigator could find his way across a trackless sea to bring his vessel into the desired ports. The ordinary person can walk down a country road and see the various hedgerows, and they'll see nothing but a tangled mess of weeds and wildflowers. But a trained botanist would see, go down that same country road and see this and see that and call it by name and know its very use. And he might even see something of great value. Brothers and sisters, if you put two men in a room filled with ancient artifacts, if you have somebody who is a, who is a novice or doesn't know anything about art, they can look at paintings and think they're worthless, and yet a trained, uh, a trained art critic can look at something that you think is worthless, and it can be worth millions, if not thousands of dollars, because they had an eye to see, and they had an eye that was trained in what to look for. So, brethren, what is my point? In every phase of life, you'll see what you're looking for. You'll see what you are able to see based on how you have been trained up to that point. That's why it's important that we take the word of God, we allow it to transform us from the inside out, you allow it to transform your once, uh, think, your once common thinking. I remember before I became a Christian, I remember before I became a member of the Lord's Church, and people would talk about, you know, the LGBTQ, I said, hey, if somebody wants to be gay, let them be gay, I don't care. It doesn't affect me, why would I care what they want to do with their lives, as long as they're not trying to pick me up. And so that's, that was the thought process I had. Uh, I said, if somebody wants to abort their child, that's between them and God. Why would I care if somebody wants to abort their child? Because I didn't think about ramifications. I didn't think about, is there a, a greater law uh, or something that's greater than myself? And, but once I came to know the truth, I came to understand that all forms of sexual sin uh, are important. They're important because fornication is every bit as sinful as uh, homosexuality. As is, is, and, and so you think about sexual sin. Does it matter? Well, in my former way of life, no, I didn't think it did. But when I came to transform my heart and my mind with the word of God and bring my life and my thoughts into subjection to him, I realized very quickly that my thoughts led me to be an abomination. I think about you know, the things, what the Bible says about abortion. I think about what it says about so many different topics. And so I had to bring my heart, my mind, into subjection to God and completely transform my thinking because up to that point, if I would have died in, that thought pro in those thought processes, I was considered an abomination. I was not considered pure of heart. There's no way I would have been entering into heaven. And that's why it's so important that we understand these things. We transform our hearts. We seek and save lost souls because, brethren, we have too many people that are out there in the world who don't know these truths. We don't understand these things. And I've never been to a funeral, and I've been to some funerals of some gang members and others, and, and I could tell you just from when I grew up in Detroit, and some of these dudes were bad dudes. I've never once said, man, they're in hell now. Every time you go to a funeral, say, they're in a better place. Well, as I became a Christian and as I got to understand Scripture a little bit better, I said, did you know the same guy I knew? No, I didn't utter those words, but I was thinking it. So, brethren, we have to understand there's a reason why we transform our mind. There's a reason why we then take the message out into the world to teach people that there's a better way. And that if you desire to see God, if you desire to live on eternally with Christ Jesus in heaven, you have to turn from your ways. You have to turn from worldliness. You have to turn from lustful desires. And you have to allow God, brethren, in order to uh, be what guides you. I'm going to leave you with this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 I believe Tyler used to talk about this as one of his passages that he likes. 
In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right and pure and lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, what does it say? Dwell on these things. Because it's by dwelling on these things that we change the evil desires of our heart. We change the disposition of our hearts and our minds. And we have to make it life's mission, brethren, to make sure that we purify ourselves, understanding what our weaknesses are. You can't purify your life if you don't understand what your weaknesses are. You have to understand what, what is it that you're strongly uh, pulled to. What is that strong desire of your heart? And for most of us, it's probably different, right? What, what may be the strong desire of my heart might be different than Diane's strong desire. But you have to make sure you understand your weaknesses so you can build up the defenses to actually deal with it in the time that it happens, when temptation comes your way so that you don't have to fall into sin. Because, brethren, we look at the scriptures here this morning. Knowing your personal weaknesses will allow you to put up your defenses and protect your will from your strong desires, and thus you will not conceive sin. And so what is the point here this morning? Who wants to go to heaven? If you wish to desire, if your wish and desire is to enter into the heavenly realm, to walk in, in, in the kingdom of God amongst your Lord and Savior, to sit down at a table with, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to ask the questions. I don't know about you, I got some questions when I get up there. And I'm hoping that you know, I find some answers, right? Like, you remember where it says, and then ask a question. I don't know about you guys, maybe I'm immature, but those are the things that cross my mind when I read scripture sometimes. I have some questions when I get up there. And so I think about this, though. I will not attain heaven if I don't hum uh, uh, humble myself under the mighty hand of God, under the mighty, righteous hand of God. If I don't humble myself under God's standard and allow his standard to be what guides me, guides my life, and guides my mind and my actions. <coughs> Evil thoughts produce evil actions, right? Holy, righteous, and pure thoughts produce holy, righteous, and pure actions. So, brethren, if you're hearing this message today and you have questions, allow me to be able to answer those questions for you. If you're hearing this message today and maybe you've been away from the Lord's church for a while, maybe you've been away for a while and, and, and your desire is to, is to be brought back into the fellowship of the congregation, you could do that, brethren, here this morning. The elders will pray with you. Uh, they will talk with you. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, but you've been hearing the messages, you've been studying maybe on your own, and your desire is to become a child of God, you could go down into the waters of baptism, you could have your sins washed away, you could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God himself will add you to the kingdom. Come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.